Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Hello, Insider Nation. We're excited to bring you yet another star-studded panel. This time, it's of your peers and part of our continuing State of Sales Enablement project. We here at Inside Sales Enablement are dedicated to making sure our listeners are successful, overcoming the complexities in their own companies so that they compete more effectively in the market. There are many names used to describe what I just said. We've been calling it sales enablement for the last 12 years. COVID was a wake-up call for Brian and I, and hopefully it was for all of the rest of you in Insider Nation. And we answered that call first by launching an amazing Absolutely amazing. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, you need to listen to it, our COVID panel, which we broke down into five parts because it was so rich. Uh, On that, we had Dr. Howard Dover from the University of Texas, Dallas. We had Kanal Mehta, who's a partner at uh, TCV Private Equity, and Lindsay Gore, uh, one of the top reps at at Microsoft, and we had her on to keep us honest. (laughs) So, uh, you know, so we don't go veer off into theoretical land. Something Kanal shared with us in part two, you should go listen to that episode, really caught our attention. He was talking about the growing gap between what investors want to see and how poorly the sum of the parts in the commercial process, sales and marketing are, and that this alignment or this uh, connective tissue isn't happening. Uh, Kanal mentioned that that was the responsibility of sales enablement, and they don't see it anywhere happening in any of their uh, portfolio companies. So that was a big wake-up call, and I thought, geez, we need to investigate that further. So we launched a a survey to get the feedback from sales enablement practitioners, and we challenged you, Insider Nation, to help us out. We thought, hey, we're going to ask open-ended questions. We're going to get a lot of subjective feedback uh, so that we can piece together what's really happening. We thought that if we got 25 responses, that would be enough or suitable to give us a really good perspective. So we challenged you guys and we said, hey, if we want to get 25, we need to set our quota, <laughs> like I guess your companies do to your, your salespeople, at 50. So, okay, we're going to go out and get 50. How did you respond, Insider Nation? Did you give us 30? Did you give us 50? No. In one week time, you gave us 70 responses. 70. That's incredible. So thank you so much. We're very grateful for your participation. But that creates a different kind of problem. It's a high-quality problem, but a problem nonetheless. How do you analyze open-ended feedback from 70 people who all are incredibly thoughtful? The responses were really, really thoughtful. So the other thing, too, is when you look at that information, I don't want to insert my bias. So all of us have bias. Uh, We have a fake news problem in business, too. (laughs) So... Uh, please, side note, if you, if you take any study and use the qu- statistics, please, please, please read the methodology that they followed, please. Uh, there is so much fake news out there, it's, it's really distracting, but I digress. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is make sure that we don't have enough uh, uh, bias that we put onto it. So we've highlighted and recruited over 30 thought leader experts like the people that we have here to help us figure it out. As part of that program, we want to be able to give you insights or a, uh, or a glimpse at how this information is being combined, so we're running these panels. Our first panel, we had sales enablement experts, so I'm sure you know if you've been in the space, Tamara Shank, uh, Mike Kunkel, and Josie Mashburn. We had a fantastic panel there. Uh, we just uh, uh, put out our, our second one was with sales leaders, so if you know Skip Miller, uh, so it's great that, uh, you know, Siobhan mentioned that uh, Skip Miller is a, a, a client of that. It's fantastic. Uh, it's Skip Miller, Steve Capro, and we also had Bob Apollo. So we just completed that. And now we're pulling up and having perspective from practitioners. Practitioners. All of this is leading forward. Mark your calendars for May 19th. 
go visit insidese.com to register because on May 19th, we're producing a findings presentation for where all of this sits. So now let's kick off our panel. I'm really excited. So this is a panel of people that I've known for quite a long time. We have, uh, I'm gonna introduce, I'm gonna introduce them first and uh, have them introduce themselves to you. The first person is Doug Clowner. Doug has, um, Doug I met through inquiries. I think our first time that we actually met was uh, at when you were at NetIQ and we were doing a briefing of the executive bio research that we'd done uh, when we were at Forrester. He's worked at Novell, NetIQ, and most recently at, at, at MicroFocus. Uh, Doug has been pretty heavily involved and I, I would say a, a little bit more focused on the content side of things rather than the, than the training side of things. And I'm very excited to have Doug participating with us. Doug, would you care to introduce yourself to Insider Nation? Yes, thanks. Uh, thanks for that, Scott. Uh, Doug Clower, obviously. Um, I've been around sales enablement for a long time. I have a rather unique background. I, I did not come to sales enablement in high tech through what some people might think is the normal business channel. I, I grew up, or, or my degree is in architecture, so I practiced architecture for 15 years before I moved over to technology. I'm passionate, really, about enabling a sales force to make a difference with customers because ultimately what we're trying to do in the sales enablement field is help our salespeople solve problems that our customers have. That's really the approach I take. Excellent. So that's Doug. Next up is Siobhan Thatcher. So Siobhan and I met, I don't even know exactly when. <laughs> maybe, it was at a, maybe it was at that first conference, Siobhan. But uh, we met at Forrester and I, I've just had many, many interactions and sessions with her, whether it be through an analyst or, or the like. She also was at the very first, uh, the, the founding meeting. So the, when the Sales Enablement Society was forming, Jim Ninavaji and I did a, 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 I don't know what it was, right? A, a workshop, I guess, a group therapy session, whatever that was. We had a meeting of about 18 of us in, um, in some hotel in, out, out in California. And Siobhan was there, and, you know, right then and there, that was when the, the, the chapter, the San Francisco chapter was born. So, so Siobhan has been very heavily involved in helping get this profession off the ground for quite some time. Uh, as you know, she's a, she's a leader out there in the Sales and Aimwood Society and in the community. So I'm incredibly, incredibly honored to have Siobhan join us. Siobhan, introduce yourself to the few people who don't know you yet. Hi, uh, uh, Siobhan Thatcher. Um, yeah, I do definitely have a, a passion and a purpose around sales enablement. Uh, I did come up the more traditional business way. I came up through sales, then pre-sales, then over to the enablement side of it. And so it was, uh, it, was a, it was a great path for me and it was the right way to go. Scott, you and I met at the very first Forrester conference and you asked how many people in the room had the title of enablement. And there were about 100 people in the room and four of us stood up. And that was it. I mean, and that's how long ago that was. And then, yeah, in, uh, out in Palm, Des Palm Beach, Palm Beach, wherever we were, and then uh, here in the Bay Area. So it's been, um, I've seen the growth like you from virtually nothing to now there are 10,000, 15,000 people that can really, really say that they're true sales enablement folks. Yeah, it's been a long journey, huh? Yeah, great one though. Great yes, one. Yes, very exciting. And then uh, last but not least, we have Imogen McCourt. Imogen McCourt and I met while at Forrester. So bear with me, this is going to be a little bit complicated, but this is all true. This is how things work out in real life, right? It's not, uh, it's not that linear. So Imogen had this gigantic, and I'm being sarcastic, department uh, <laughs> at Forrester, helping the Forrester sales reps with sales enablement. At the same time, we'd launched the sales enablement practice for Forrester to provide research to, um, to clients. So I guess it's almost like we didn't want to be the cobbler's son that had no shoes, right, right Imogen? And uh, so Imogen worked with, I mentioned Skip Miller. So Skip Miller was somebody that Imogen and Greg hired to help, help, our, help the sales force. And so this is sort of the weird triangle of Skip and Imogen and Scott. So, and then we also invited Imogen to participate 
uh, and she was a client of our Sales Enablement Leadership Council that was for clients. Okay, did that make any sense, Imogen? Introduce yourself to Insider Nation. Oh, I forgot. Oh my gosh, I forgot another thing. Imogen also was uh, at that uh, founding meeting to kick off. That was a great meeting, by the way, uh, it, for, for London. Side note, the London meeting started out at the, at the wrong address. Remember that? It was so <laughs> and then people had to go find the right address, but still 45 people showed up. It was incredible. Imogen, did I get anything right? Can you help me make, make, make me not sound insane? Yes, hello. Thank you, Scott. Uh, I'm Imogen McCourt, and it was that complicated. Um, I had been with Forrester for some time, and um, there was sort of broad and interesting history of it of that the best bit was obviously getting into sales enablement at the same time as you were there building the practice out and just to add extra complexity Forrester also decided to do a global sales transformation and, and different go-to-market approach at the same time so I landed this global role skeleton scarf at uh, skeleton scarf skeleton staff and of course uh, Skip Miller coming in to support us and then had to support the sales organization through that transformation and try and be the best I could possibly be, Scott, to live up to the very high standards that you and the team were, were giving. Uh, so thank goodness you were all around to support me through that process. And, you know, that pedaling in the deep end piece really helps, right? You really learn at speed when you go through that sort of process quickly. And, and it's been fantastic to be able to continue to do that um, and to do that in Europe. And I know we're going to talk about this later, but I think the, the environment in Europe is different um, to the one that I experienced it's working in, for Forrester and leading things from the US as well as Europe. Yeah, so I like that pedaling in the deep end. And uh, I think um, that's why you have to have people getting your back, right? Because a lot of this stuff is you just have to have people that will support you that you can talk through it. And also it doesn't help or it doesn't hurt to have tequila, right, Imogen? <laughs> <laughs> tequila <laughs> always helps. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> with that, having said that, we're now going to go to the meat of our show. So the meat of our show, if you've been following along, this is our, our third panel, and we have three standard questions. So the first question, and again, just to set our, our audience's uh, expectations, every single one of these an analysts has had the opportunity to look at the 70 responses, open-ended responses. And by the way, that's not, a, not an easy task. It's not just data. It's a lot of open-ended feedback. So it takes some work to do the analysis. I've interviewed each of them too, so we've had a chance to talk about it. So question number one, and I'm going to ask you, Doug, having looked at the survey findings, what are a few things that stood out for you? Well, Scott, I, I thought it was really interesting, uh, the paradox between strategy that different individuals were taking and their titles. So I saw a lot of titles associated with uh, what we would consider a sales enablement leader, you know, the, those people that were leading a department, doing their thing, and they were approaching sales enablement as an operational excellence kind of approach, which seems, and, and it's sort of an inference on my part, it seems a little bit more like it's a tactical execution as opposed to the innovation uh, answer to that particular question, the business strategy question. Because what I think in sales enablement we have to do, especially as you underline the idea of COVID-19, we have really got to be more innovative. We have to be thinking on our feet more what I would call startup or, you know, um, a, a very nimble organization being able to respond to the circumstances uh, that our sales force is facing on a daily basis and the environment that we're working in, whatever it happens to be. So I guess if I looked at it, those were, there was a, bit of a discord between what I thought a sales enablement leader should be thinking about uh, what their priorities were or their strategy was and what their actual strategy was. Excellent. Thank you, Doug. Siobhan, how about you? What were some, some of the, your reactions? Uh, I would echo what Doug said, but I think the other thing that I did find gratifying was that the majority of the folks do in fact believe in our bullish on sales enablement and believe it's on the rise. Um, there's been a lot of buzz going around that I've heard a lot of negative around enablement for the last few months. It, it's, it's interesting. I haven't heard it before then that enablement's not working. And I get a sense, especially looking at some of the answers of the folks that don't think it's working, that a lot of that just has to do with tactical versus strategy. The same thing Doug said, that if you take much more of a strategic corporate view of it, 
and how do you actually help move the business forward as opposed to how do I make sure I've got these courses running? It's just, I think it's just the vision that folks have on what, what mm-hmm. enablement can be that they've restricted themselves. And when you restrict themselves, then you don't give yourself the, you don't give yourself the runway to do what needs to be done. Awesome. Imogen. Yeah. I mean, I, as you uh, might suspect, I echo what both uh, Doug and Siobhan say, but I also think that for me, it was almost gratifying to see people um, talking about the fact that they see sales enablement on the rise because of the complexity of doing business nowadays. It's like, We've always been, you know, I think you coined the phrase the VP of broken things and we've always been that person brought in to fix things that weren't aligned or weren't working. And it really seemed to echo in the people who thought we were on the rise that sales enablement was really getting more focus, that it was because there's so much out there that needs to be sorted out. And we can't do that tactically one bit at a time because it's too complex. We have to go simple and we have to think strategically so people can see the big picture of how sales enablement really impacts a company's ability to drive and grow profitably. So, uh, Doug, how do you respond? What, what did you? What are your takeaways from what you heard from Siobhan and Imogen? Well, I, you know, the the one thing that um, uh, Siobhan talked about was, you know, enablement is broken, and and I think what happens is we get these little courses. Things aren't quite working the way they should be. Sales isn't quite hitting a number, or something's happening here, or in some respects, maybe it's marketing that is is. Uh, failing to see that what their message is, is a little different than what the salesperson's message is because it's a broad story as opposed to a, uh, a focused uh, story to the customer. And so when I, I, I echo the fact that we hear a lot of sales enablements broken when it's not really sales enablement. It's a matter of somebody thinks what they have to say is more important than what sales enablement is doing. It, to that, to that extent. Now that's just a little bit of a, you know, an odd uh, takeaway on that, but it's really important for us to make sure that everybody understands it's a collaborative effort. Nobody's saying marketing's doing the wrong thing or sales is doing the wrong thing. It's here's the things we should be doing differently because of what our message happens to be. So I would echo what Siobhan said. Siobhan, what'd you get away from, uh, get from Doug and Imogen? Um, we're all we're all pretty much saying the same thing I think is that you know enablement does work when everybody is looking in the same direction Uh, I think the 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 disconnect between marketing and sales is the fact that each believes that they're doing a better job than the other to get the customer's attention where in fact we're all trying to do the same thing which is to help our customers buy from us and it's getting folks to put to put that 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 siloism new word siloism aside and say that together if you work together on this sales and marketing in fact i see enablement doing that a lot is bringing those two sides together to say there is a quid pro quo right marketing you give sales content in the way that they can use it and sales you make sure or ask marketing and give marketing back adoption and rock and roll Right. So it's it's everybody's trying to do the right thing and it's giving them the opportunity to do the right thing through conversation and training. Right. You can teach each other. I like that. Imogen. Oh, yeah, I like that, too. That's that's really good. We, we teach each other. That's the collaborative nature of what we're trying to do as sales enablement. Yeah, and I would go further than that as well. We can provide the feedback feedback loop for them so you know in my last in-house position I owned the sales operations group as well and also customer success as it happens and so that gave me all the feedback loops I could provide the what the clients were actually saying and how they were reacting to it and we could see how things were mobilizing and moving along the sales process whether it's resonating with buyers so you know I think this idea of collaborating is absolutely spot on we're not we're more than the sum of our parts and we can help reflect that in, in data and feedback that's real from the client. So you, you, you use the word feedback. Uh, Siobhan and Doug, you use the word teach each other. Are those the same idea or are they different? Is feedback? I think feedback feeds the, feeds the outbound. It's a loop. It's a continuous loop. It never stops. I, I, people say to me all the time, you know, is your sales enablement finished? Like, it, it never stops. It never right. stops. There's always some learning. There's always some new feedback. 
as enablers, we have to make sure we ask for and get the feedback, right? Sometimes it just rolls around out there and you never hear anything. But once you get it, then I think it it is part of the part of what feeds the outbound and where the company goes. Do that's spot that's spot on, Shavab, because uh, Scott, to your question that you just posed, is it feedback and teaching the same thing? It's no that they are the circular loop that Siobhan just talked about because somebody gets feedback from sales that this message doesn't seem to resonate. We learn that we, we can share that, teach that if you want to call it that, share that with marketing. Marketing says, well, why? And, and let's modify it. Then we go back out and test that. That feedback teaching loop is, is really very important part of what enablement does. I have a way of looking at, way I see things usually in technology is there's a product group, a marketing group, and the sales group, and it's trying to get those three to work together, which is so important. And, and that's, uh, I, Siobhan, you're right on. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to tease out, and I'm going to ask this to, uh, for Imogen to react to it. What I'm trying to tease out here is uh, it's my, been my observation. So first of all, clarifier, do e either of you three have a formal professional learning background? No. No. Imogen? No. So part of, the, part of the observation that I've seen is sometimes people who have a professional learning background think about teaching one way. It's, I will do instruction. I will teach you. We are there to teach you rather than to learn from each other. It's not bi-directional. And the reason that I asked the, the question about feedback loop, Imogen, you and I both worked under a regime at Forrester that was heavy on the data side, low on the insight side. <laughs> and feedback can get interpreted as yes. just, just data. And you have to be able to learn uh, to be able to put that data in context. So the reason I'm asking this is what's unique about all three of you is none of you came from a traditional learning background all of you put a high degree of value of learning, but your perspective of learning is bi-directional, not one way. And then the second thing, Imogen, I think you're in a unique spot to do, having worked in a data-driven research company, the word feedback has a lot of different meaning to you. So I wanna give you some opportunity to give some texture about what you mean by feedback. Yeah, so, I think if I was going to broaden out my definition of feedback, it's about um, this continuous understanding of what effect you're having or what impact you're having towards an outcome. Yes. So it can be very exposing, right? So if I go to my marketing department and say, those amazing series of webinars that you crafted, nobody's listening, nobody's interested. That would be awful. But if I can say to them, this isn't necessarily accelerating the sales process in the way that we want it to. And I can show you that, uh, but we think that we'd really like you to try this. Or we'd like to work together to do that. What would be beneficial for you to me to ask the commercial organization to do to try that out? And then we can start to do some really interesting learning together, finding that mutual uh, benefit to move forward what the marketing teams are trying to do or the product heads are trying to do that really drives forward not into an abyss or a black hole if they've chucked it over the fence into the commercial team and they're hoping for the best but they've actually understood that sales enablement will help partner that to see whether it is to have an impact that they're hoping it will so i think that is how i would broaden out feedback in this context excellent so what we're what we're looking at then is um i'm going to put words in everybody's mouth obviously feel you know the goal is to get to a statement that we all agree with so if it's if my words aren't the right ones amend them so that we have something that we can agree on but it seems like uh, across the board there are some there's some vocabulary that doesn't exist today for you know the people who haven't been through uh been through the ringer like you guys have, ha have had so one concept is it's two-way learning not one-way learning and the other concept is feedback is important, data is important, but put the data in context with the lens of what's working, not so much just data for data's sake. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. 
I think it's a very fair yeah. summation of it. Excellent. So I think these things are important because what's interesting is we keep talking about strategic or tactical. I don't think that has enough context. And I think what you guys have all done is unconsciously, you've tapped into your unconscious competence, but arrived at the same phenomenon is where you're blending things. You all talk about the need to blend or align cross-functional groups. You talk about bi-directional learning. It's learning's a two-way street. I can learn from Siobhan. Siobhan can learn from me together. You know, we, we both thrive. That's a positive feedback loop. And then, you know, Imogen, to your point, feedback isn't just data. Data is not, data is just a measure. There's other things about it that you have to contextualize and you have to have a purpose of why that data is. And it sounds like uh, Imogen over the years, you've gotten really focused on figuring out what that purpose is and helping uh, executives see the meaning in the data so that uh, they can contextualize the feedback. And I guess the other thing I would add to that is that when you do deliver the data, you have to deliver it in the language of the people that are receiving Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. And that's what the organization as well. Excellent. Awesome. That's exciting. Um, so now we're on to question number two. Question number two is what was your favorite question of the survey and why? So the first person that gets to answer this one is you, Siobhan. What was your favorite question? Why? Uh, oh, that's easy. My favorite question was uh, if enablement were a business, what business would it be? Because it's funny because it actually goes to what we were just talking about, which is how can you take sales enablement and describe it in a way that people can understand it through a set of metaphors, for example. So the thing that came to mind immediately to me was, was mission control, right? That we, are, we all have our headsets on. We're all listening to the various parts of how to make this rocket ship take off. And then we're bringing them all together in a coordinated fashion to make sure that we get off the ground. And so um, doing that concept of mission control, you think about filing a flight plan. You think about uh, registering the flight plan with your leadership. You think about the different types of flight plans. Some people like, you know, I'm, I'm impatient. I want to get from here to the moon in a direct shot, right? Or here to New York in a direct shot where somebody else may want to take a skip and a hop through Dallas or Chicago or whatnot. We're still getting to the same destination. We're just choosing our own path to get there. So as enablement folks, I really do see us as, you know, mission control to help the company go in the right direction. And so you don't have those, you know, misfiring rockets and they're going off in different directions. So you want to know something funny, Siobhan, that this is really um, awesome. I think I found your business soulmate because that response, uh, I've been interviewing a bunch of people uh, I, I interviewed a guy named Samir. Samir is the SVP of sales and marketing at uh, Solvay, a, a chemicals company. Mm -hmm. And his first feedback to me was the thing that resonated in, at the most was who was the one that was talking about the mission control? Because he uses that metaphor with his executive leadership, the, 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 you know, the entire executive team to explain what they're doing. And he's got this broken down into like different kinds of rockets and different delivery models. He's extended it into his, uh, he's, in, he's extended that metaphor into how they segment, you know, different rocket types to put different loads in. It was so precise. I, I was like, man, I got to get you two together. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. I love that. Isn't it cool? Yeah. Is it, so I, I'm just like, so, and I guess more commonality, common thread, Doug, he's in Houston. No. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so maybe I can get you guys together. At any rate, I think that's so cool. And I, that's, that's the magic of serendipity. Okay. So the next person that I'd love to know is what your favorite question was and why. Uh, Imogen, what was your favorite question and why? You know, I was worried that we'd all have the same questions. And I did absolutely love that one, Siobhan, as well. But mine was um, the stock. If it was a stock, would you buy it? And there's a couple of reasons I loved that. One was because it's, it's very personal, right, as a reaction, but it also senses for right now in the situation we're in right now uh, under these pandemic conditions, but also long term. But I also made, it made me think and reflect on through the sort of life cycle of building a sales enablement department, would I buy my stock? And it's such a great question to say, am I doing enough? Am I thinking strategically enough? Is my, is my business within a business doing the right thing? And so I really like that one. That resonated well with me. 
Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Doug, what was your favorite question and why? Um, who is the customer of sales enablement? Because it, it gives us a perspective. I saw a lot of commonality in here, uh, but it also helps us think about what is the, who is the real customer of sales enablement. And I, I personally think it, it sits much further up the chain than a lot of people answered. But all in all, it gives us insight on what people are thinking about who they're having to respond to. And I think sort of related to that is, you know, is it tied back to who funds me and who cares about what I'm doing? Or is it just a, yeah, we have you here because we have to have a sales enablement function. But I think uh, who the customer of sales enablement is was my favorite. Excellent. So uh, reactions, what were your reactions to each other? Siobhan? Um, I loved Imogene's uh, talk about the stock. I haven't thought about it that way. I mean, I read the question and I thought, you know, okay, that's cool. But it'd be interesting to go back and to ask my own team, right? If we were a stock, would you buy us? Um, And then the ultimate customer, you know, that was interesting, Doug, because that was the one, my answer to that, whenever anybody asks me that, is that it is actually our buyers, the people that buy from us, our actual customers, because if they're not buying, then our purpose isn't around. And so I see as enablement as being part of a, a business that helps people stay focused on the two things that are really, really important from a, from a revenue perspective, which is increasing performance, re- reducing attrition, right? Especially as enablement, we enable all these people. Let's keep them. You know, so what do we do? How do we do to make sure we keep them, get them what they need, and then the customers buy from us? They're the ultimate stakeholder. Awesome. Doug? You, you know, I, I think what you just, uh, what Siobhan just said earlier about mission control, the, what, if enablement were a business, what would it be? It's mission control. I, I know that when I responded to this, I talked about it being more consultative on that side because that's sort of the background that, that I have. I'm a more consultative seller, uh, purpose-driven, but that was um, – I, something about that just struck me, Siobhan. So I'm just impressed with that question. I, I think with regard to Imogen's response on, on the stock, I thought that one was really interesting too, because there were a lot of people who are going, yeah, it's on the rise, but I'm going to short it because <laughs> I'm going to put my money somewhere else. You know, so you, you get some insight there, but the idea is, are we, uh, if we were a business, are we a business people would, would trade in, invest in, and support, and can we create that? I think there's a, there's a lot of people out there that are doing sales enablement um, privately, but not necessarily in a public business that's traded on. But that's just a great, great way of assessing where people think the value of sales enablement is. What was awesome is in our session that was actually just yesterday uh, with, um, with the sales leaders, Skip actually admitted, he said, I got to tell you, I thought that was the stupidest question. The, what, uh, the, who are your customers? How obvious it was. And then I felt like a jerk reading through it because people were so all over the place. Oh my gosh, people aren't getting the fundamentals right. And right. I, think that's, uh, I, I think that's pretty interesting is how often, like wh- why not just answer some simple questions? And if we can answer the simple questions, move on, why do we reject asking the simple question? I think that's a that's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, Imogen, what were your reactions to the other people's favorite question? Oh yes, I mean I, I similarly love this mission control idea. Um, it, the, the the customer one is really powerful because to your point, it's very simple, and thinking about it simply is very hard. So we're, we're encouraged now already to start thinking about sort of subsecting our customers, right? Are we sales manager enablers? Are we revenue enablers? How do we think about subse- uh, subsecting it? But actually, ultimately, Siobhan's right if we can make our sellers successful in making our buyers successful, you know, can we blend that and think about that as our overall uh, uh, customer? So, I mean, you're not going to be surprised by this, Scott, because I spent so much time sort of with you at Forrester, but I think about the the customer conversation is almost the the product we're, we're developing. Um, and I think that's the customer interaction point, right? The buyer and the seller. 
and that moment in time has to be where we drive value so yeah the, the customer question is fantastic because it makes you reflect back on who you're actually enabling and what you're actually empowering amen to that imogen it's it's i think you were getting to that scott it's that conversation that happens between a salesperson or a sales team and their customer is ultimately what we are trying to facilitate in the most productive and valuable way for both us as a company and them as a company. They're an entity and we need to be profitable. They need to be successful. That's what we're trying to make happen. Right. And I think and that's that, the ultimate breakdown that a lot of sales enablement folks have is that they're thinking about it from a tactical inside the walls of the castle mm-hmm. instead of what do the townspeople need? I think <laughs> outside the wall, be strategic. Yeah, I, I, uh, I want to piggyback on that. I see, I see that um, our sales organizations are bombarded to, tell, to talk about us, our products, our services, mm-hmm. what we do, how many stocking sites we have, how many customers we have. And they get that from our own company. And that the sales enablement uh, function works, has to work to de- fragment that kind of uh that kind of mentality and focus more on the customer so it's almost as if that um uh, companies are inflicted with this disease of productitis uh productitis exists in all the product groups it exists even in finance it exists in how you report to the street you know how what your products and services are the burden required to synthesize all this information and get it back into a customer perspective is massive because no one owns it so I think that's really a theme that I'm hearing across all of you guys. How would you guys react to that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think we need to go beyond just working with our, you know, silo departments that we were talking about earlier to help them see this client conversation, but actually really bring it to life for them. So the marketing teams who are creating fantastic content about how big, bright, beautiful, wonderful a product or service is, missed the point that at the beginning of the sales process for the first three or four stages of most funnels all we care about is pain motivation change driving that complexity through and it's only at the end when they've decided to work with us that we tell them they're right and it's big and it's beautiful and it's consistent we can do it so yeah i think it helps to uh, be a design point for how we work with our colleagues across our companies excellent so we have the last question and then we have a wrap up. We may lose, uh, uh, unfortunately, we may lose uh, Siobhan. So I'm going to let everybody know beforehand if she's got to go, we've asked her to just leave. She's got an appointment with our CEO. So we got we to gotta definitely let that happen. So there is, you know, no other scheduling thing. When the boss says, I want to meet, the boss will be met with. <laughs> so I'm going to ask uh, Siobhan out of sequence here, the, the next question. So what I'd like you guys to do is imagine you're taking out your crystal balls. Okay, you got your crystal ball. This is your opportunity to be a soothsayer. Siobhan, what do you see as the future of sales enablement from here? I think the future is that the word sales will be dropped from it. What we're discovering is that the challenges that we have and we've been asked to solve in companies like content issues and go-to-market messaging and you know, making sure everybody understands customer needs and storytelling goes way beyond sales. The whole company, especially now that people cannot just go visit you or you cannot go visit somebody, everybody in the company is a a seller, a supporter of the customer. And in order to be able to support the customer properly, you have to be able to talk about why does the company exist? Why do our products exist? Why do you need us? Why do you, why do we understand what your issues are? goes way beyond sales. So I can see enablement becoming a much, much broader, uh, a much, much broader practice within, within insightful organizations who, who really get it, who see the value of it, which is part of our job is to show them the value. Yes. I love that you have that. Part of our job is to do that. Okay. Next crystal ball. Imogen, dust off that crystal ball. Take a good look at it. Tell us what you see in the future. Wow, you want me to add to what Siobhan just said? No, I want you to get your own one. And then we can add and piggyback on. Okay, so I have a slightly left field um, 
thought about this. I really hope that no company ever needs sales enablement ever again. This should be an instinctive, well, not instinctive, but it should be an end-to-end understanding about empowering our ability to get out into the marketplace and into those seller conversations. So 30 years from now, because it's not moving fast and we are behind the curve in Europe, I would love it if there was a distinct part of the competency of the COO and the CRO, perhaps even the CEO, is to understand how to align these different parts of the organizations, these spinning cogs, so they constantly think end-to-end about how they spend their budget and their internal thinking processes and resources to drive that conversation. So So said a different way, um, and I'm putting words in your mouth, spit out what doesn't fit, Imogen. What you're saying is that sales enablement is a temporary role uh, to piggyback on the metaphor, I guess we're all using is rockets. It's a a stage booster to ultimately get us to a point where organizations are more holistic and um, uh, operate like an ecosystem in support of customers. I, I wish it's a temporary role. I suspect it isn't and it will just manifest in new and more interesting ways as we move forward. But Ultimately, I would love to be able to break apart some of the great things that we do in sales enablement and know that everybody else is also doing those in the same way and that that rising tide is lifting all ships in a company to help drive success. Doug, are you like me and just want to buy in and maybe it's because of the British accent? She sounds way smarter than the rest of us. Is oh, that absolutely. Going is that going on absolutely. With right now? Yeah. You, you know, going I'm on with Texas. me. <laughs> I, I'm from Texas. Nobody thinks we know anything down here because we've got such a strange dialect. <laughs> right. And your big claim to fame of smartness was Enron and that didn't turn out too well, right? Oh, hush, hush. <laughs> oh, lived, that was brutal. I gotta tell you, I, I was in consulting and lived through that one. I had responsibility for the Houston area in consulting at Novell when Enron fell apart. And boy, it took the legs out from underneath a lot of people. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I hate to be digging up uh, past traumas there, Doug. So let's dust that off here and let's bring out your crystal ball. Tell us where you see sales on A1 heading. Well, I'm I'm not going to comment on the other two right at the moment, but I'm going to say that I think sales enablement almost becomes its own business unit like finance or something else in the future. The reason is because it's so integral or so pivotal to a lot of different things that happen to the point where I think it, um, I, I guess this almost is a wish or a hope for, it's a aspirational, that it reports up to the COO or the CEO because that sort of reinforces the idea that Siobhan was talking about of, hey, you know, it's, it's not sales enablement, it's just enablement. I mean... I long ago dropped the sales out of my title. I, I just said, it, I'm global enablement director. That's what I do. So, um, but I, I kind of see the, the idea that uh, Imogen's getting to and the idea that it is, is just like a natural component of what the CEOs, COs, and uh, CROs all think about. And, and I guess this kind of goes back to maybe what, you know, like uh, Dr. Uh, Howard Dover is doing at uh, UT Dallas, the idea that sales enablement or enablement itself and having that is part of the curricula that we teach in every college, if it's in the business space or something else like that. So I guess that's, that's kind of the w- way I'd like to see it. And that's aspirationally what I'd like to see happen. That's what I want it to happen. That's what I'm trying to support. Javon, before you go, uh, do you want to comment on uh, Doug or Imogen? And we'll wrap up with Doug and Imogen from here on out. I think we're all saying the same thing. I think yeah. it is, um, it, it's having a much broader, much more global view of what it means to be the corporate communicators, the, the corporate, uh, the center of the, the, the center of all the, all the various cogs, as Imogen said, right? We're the ones in the middle that are keeping all the cogs going and making sure they're communicating with each other and keeping the focus in the right direction. And it's, it's a much more strategic, much larger, much more global view that, that needs to be taken in order for companies to be successful now. Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Siobhan. 
We're going to turn the show over now to Dr. Brian Lambert. Uh, so Brian has been uh, patiently organizing all of our different thoughts. He's going to ask us to clarify and agree on, on, on certain things. Obviously, Siobhan, you're going to have to drop off. Thank you so much for, for participating. Uh, Brian, prioritize her feedback first. Yeah, and I, I just have one quick question, and it has to do with this, um, the integrated view that we, we had a bit of a dangling discussion around. When you think about mission control, and you, you guys are all talking about the interconnected nature of sales enablement, uh, I'd just like to pull that thread more. One of the things that I'd like to just get your thoughts on before you go is the importance of skills required in this sales enablement role. I think the biggest, the biggest skill you need to have for that is an understanding that you have to be empathetic of the folks that you're dealing with and that it's all about uh, curiosity and what their roles are, what they believe their roles are and how you believe they're all integrated into the ultimate goal, which is to help your customers, right? And it's help people to understand and actually put their own wording around their roles to make sure that they get it, but it's to transform the company to recognize that who the real stakeholder is and to get their view much bigger and help them see bigger beyond the horizon. Oh, I like that. So, so your definition then of impacting is looking out and abroad, interconnecting, thinking about others, having empathy for them and making it uh, relevant to them. Realizing everybody is trying to do the right thing. Yeah. It's just making them understand that everybody is doing the right thing. They just need to coordinate it. Yep. Right. Yep. How about you, uh, Imogen, with regard to this concept of interconnect thinking? Yeah, I love what Siobhan said, and I'll add to that. I, I never thought about sales enablement as a sort of linear process or a set of tactics. I think it's a really holistic spinning yes. wheel of things you have to prioritize for the company and, and the market that you're working in. So you can't just improve and simplify the sales process and, and say, go do it. You have to create a coaching culture that can pick that up. You have to make sure that they're doing it to the right markets and the right clients and reflecting the problems those people have. So being able to think really big picture and, and raise your head, I'm going to steal that from Siobhan, but also be able to break that down into the component parts and help people come together across the organization to understand how they are all part of driving that forward. And that's a good thing. That to me is how you try and uh, how I try and bring a sort of some level of systems thinking to what I do and to sales enablement departments. That is how I think about it. It's got lots of tenants. It's got lots of pillars, but it's not linear. You have to be thinking ahead of the game and, and, and actually helping your CRO or CSO go beyond their next quarter or even the end of the coming year, right? Help them think two or three years out to make ready for that and be proactive for what that might look like. Great. Thanks so much for that. How about you, Doug? What do you think about system thinking or skills in that way? Well, then, and this goes back to the way I sort of introduced myself. I'm an architect by uh, professional training, by degree and everything else. And absolutely at the heart of any piece of architecture you see in the world, there are systems all through it. And an architect himself is not the guy that knows how to run the electrical or the HVAC or the structural parts of everything. We have a basic understanding. And so as a sales enablement person, we're a little bit like an architect in that we're able to understand broad systems and how they interact and how they support each other. But then we can blend them together with the aesthetics of material, content, whatever you want to call it. And that begins to wrap it in the kind of uh, presentation that's satisfying to the customer. And so we have to be systems thinkers, but we have to be big picture systems thinker, understanding all of those pieces. I, I mentioned this, Scott, the other day, I said, a lot of people talk about the buyer's journey. What does it go through the process and everything? All well and good, but it's also a little bit about the seller's journey. What do they have to deal with? What are the processes that they have to go through? How do we simplify that? How do we message that to them, help them? There's all the different pieces that work together to help that salesperson or sales team be successful in front of that customer to solve the customer's problem. And that's really why I think systems is important, but it's not systems in that I just got to make sure it's all tactical. That's an operations kind of thing. It's, it's an orchestration. It's what it right. really boils down to. 
Great. Well, I appreciate that. And all three of you guys were, were talking about the, the words like integrated, uh, big picture, idea, simplification. Um, you, you just injected, Doug, architecture. So I wanted to pull that thread some more as one of my takeaways. So I'll, I'll segue into my recap here. And that's going to be point number one. It's this idea of what you guys are all talking about and, and is going beyond. So going beyond what you're currently thinking, there's a big future orientation in this discussion, but there's also a real time right now orientation of thinking more broadly, thinking more like an architect, integrated big picture about all the pieces. And what strikes me about that is those are not terms and those are not words used day to day in my view in sales right now. When we hear words like go, 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 close, close, action, activity, did you do it? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? But this conversation to me is really standing out as it's about integration, helping people win, helping people think, helping people understand, relating to them, have empathy, getting outside of your own siloed view and, and becoming more interrelated and interconnected. So that's my first point is going beyond what you currently think. What do you guys think of that, Imogen and Doug? Uh, I like that. I mean, that's, that's a good summation, good way of looking at it. Yeah, me too. I like it, Ryan. Okay. The next one is, uh, before that, is a great value conversation. So my second point is, you've got to really know and, and then believe in your value. And what you guys talked about there was not the value of your widget that you're producing or not the value of your um, project plan or even the value of yourself, so to speak. I am valuable. Of course, everybody's valuable. But really, it's this idea of know your value to sales conversations, of interactions between buyers and sellers. That's your value. So newsflash in there, you know, I'm going to inject some, some newsflash. You guys actually coined a new, uh, a new disease. A new disease was discovered on this podcast called productitis. And <laughs> productitis was diagnosed because of this idea of the conversation and how hard it is to have that conversation. So that's my second point is no one believe in your value to sales conversations. Say it out loud. I am valuable to sales conversations. I, our team impacts sales conversations and we're going to fight productitis. What do you guys think of that, Doug and Imogen? I think productitis uh, is something that uh, needs to not be a pandemic and needs to be stopped. But I, I, just one quick reflection, Brian. I've always tried to be um, both <laughs> the difficult position of both pushing the power of sales enablement and trying to be invisible in the process of enabling our selling organization because they have to think that it's come from them. It's just that we've empowered it and made it happen for them. Uh, the last job I took, I said, you're going to be in a totally different place in two years time and it will have happened so gradually and so gently you won't know that it will have happened to you but you'll reflect and see what's changed and I just think that if something lands noisily or drives complexity then I've done it wrong so productitis would be an example of doing it badly I think. Really good point. Uh, it, uh, thinking in terms of products tends to put us in a tactical um, approach to things and it's about blending or melding uh, ways of utilizing products to solve problems. You know, I, the one thing that at Microfocus, they've heard me say over and over and over, it's it solve the problem, not sell the product, but start with a problem, you'll sell the product. If you start with a product, trying to find a problem, the chance of success drops in half at least. And so, it's just that whole idea that you got to get it all blended together. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, that's really helpful. And so we've got this idea of looking beyond blending together uh, from point one, this idea of fighting productitis to drive value and be valuable to sales conversations, which leads me to my third point. That's a great segue, Doug. It's this idea of the blending. You guys talked about a lot about blending tactical and strategic and or um, in this case, the customer view or just the, the views of others and blending those together. And what that creates is not what you guys didn't talk about friction and confrontation. You guys actually talked about opportunity for learning. And so that's my third point is blending tactical and strategic is not about one or the other. It's about creating an opportunity for learning. And that's that two-way learning that you guys talked about so much at the beginning 
So that's my third point. Blending creates an opportunity for learning. And so do, do both, blend and learn. So what do you guys think of that summarization of that early part of the conversation, which seems like forever ago? <laughs> does seem like a little bit back there, but I'll be honest with you. I think the real value of, of what you just said there is blending and learning. And it, it's, I'm going to go back to what I said. It's the collaborative nature of what we do. It's, it, this also sort of leans back on what Scott and Imogen have talked about. Scott sort of coined the phrase VP of broken things, you know, 10 years ago, whenever it was, it was, it's been a while. Uh, that's kind of where we are. Maybe it's not VP, but we almost are always in the middle and we can see things broken in a lot of different places. It's our responsibility to, to listen to, learn, share, and improve. It's, it's just a continuous cycle of improvement. And I think we blend to elevate, right? This isn't about creating a gray of compromise that will fly with enough people that we can push it across the uh, line. This is about bringing um, my spinning cog analogy back again, bringing those people together to show just how far they can accelerate what they're trying to do, because we are all trying to do the right thing, which is what Siobhan said. We are all trying to drive profitable growth and help our sellers and our buyers. But the sales enablement group so often are the people who, um, I don't know, pour oil on the troubled water of friction by showing people how we're all at the chunked up level, all trying to do the same thing and all trying to do it really, really well and support each other through that. Yeah, that's great. So there you go, Scott. There's the three things we discovered on this call, the idea of blending and learning and the value of the conversations and then uh, going beyond. And we actually discovered a new disease called productitis. So I think this has been a productive, productive uh, podcast. So back over to you. Excellent. So before we get into what we've learned, I do have one question for Imogen. So Imogen, okay. I wouldn't do this. I I'm only putting you on the spot because this is how we roll way back when, uh, but putting you a little bit on the spot, what resonated a lot with me is you said, hey, sales and anyone has to be invisible. How, do you, how does a sales and anyone department get the resources and you get paid what you should get paid for making that kind of change if you're invisible? How do you articulate nothing? Like visible is not visible. How do you articula articulate the, the value of not being seen? I mean, you, I think you're either opening the how do you measure the success of sales enablement kettle or not. But uh, I think as far as the C-suite and the CROs and my SVPs of sales are concerned, I'm absolutely in their faces and very, very visible. And I'm showing them or not just me, what I'm doing, but what my team are doing to drive uh, improved productivity, uh, uh, improved sales process, velocity, volume, etc. But as far as the salespeople are concerned, their world is just easier, simpler, better organized with the right content at the right time to help them have the conversations they need to have. So it's an enormous amount of facilitation, trying not to take them out of the field or trying not to put them in the classroom, not that we're doing that right now anyway, but trying to make sure it's all on the job and incremental changes towards something that we've already told them is good. We've already shown them what's going to be changed. Yeah. And I've done sales processes in every comp company that I've worked with and a lot of clients and when it launches, and launch is a strange word, we always want the, oh yeah, of course, reaction. Not the, oh my God, I don't understand, I don't do it like that. So that's the sort of invisibility, right? You're, you're all over the C-suite, uh, you're in there in those executive meetings, but as far as the sales managers and the frontline salespeople are concerned, it's very subtle and it just feels empowering. Yeah, so, let me, so I think there's, there's two lenses of that, right? So one is, once you have the job, how you manage it, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at how you get a new job in the first place. And let me be really, let me break this down to extreme simplicity. What I heard you say is sales enablement is, hey, management, give us more money. In return for that more money, we're going to give you less stuff. And as a result, you're going to have better, you're going to have, you're going to have better results, right? So I want more money to give you less things, by the way, they're conditioned to buy things, staff, headcount, deliverables, you know, spending, activity. And you're saying, I'm going to take all that away and simplify it. And as a result of that, you're going to get outcomes. How do you, where's an example of where we've sold something like that, where you've bought something like that before? 
<laughs> it's a really great question. I think we're talking about margins though, right? If yeah. I'm in the business of sales, maybe the business of sales, if every dollar they spend on their selling organization and the infrastructure and the ecosystem that supports that, they need to be getting three, four, five, six. I mean, they can set the, the outcome of what they're looking for that and I'll show them how to get there. Yeah. So to, to give full, uh, full transparency, what I'm starting to worry about, I'm going live on a webinar sharing findings in 19 days. This is May 1st. So part of what I'm at is why, so what is the business problem that created the VP of broken things in the first place? How do we illuminate this gap that Kunal mentioned and how, how do we help business executives see the same thing that the finance people are seeing or that you see, you know, in, in, in the bowels of the organization. And to me, when you break it down, that's really what our value proposition is. Give us more money or, or redirect some of the spending that's already happening we're going to create less, a lot less of things. Uh, and as a result of less, you're going to get more. That is a hard case to make on, on its surface, but it makes a hell of a lot of sense in context, right? So um, that's something I'm wrestling with. So please sleep on it. If you have any ideas in the morning, please give me ideas. I would really, really appreciate that. And as the, as the reporter here, I'm like, Scott just gave us a news flash, but then we've got to cut to commercial. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so going back, right? That, I guess maybe that was a commercial. My commercial is a, an appeal for help. Yeah, um, it's a that's a, that's, a, that's one to noodle on for sure. Yeah. Okay, so with that, um, here's our wrap up. Uh, Imogen, what did you learn? Wow. I mean, I'm still digesting most of the things I learned. I am delighted to hear Doug and Siobhan think about things in the same way as I do. Um, and I learned that the idea of focusing on the client conversation is the right one. Keep going with that because it is the way to make a difference here. Awesome. Doug, what did you learn? Um, I learned there's, there's still lots of opportunity to help people uh, understand sales and implement better. Uh, the the results of the survey showed the variety of opinion and perspective. And uh, the nice thing about it is we can learn from that because just like Imogen and Siobhan have shared some things, um, I, I, I'm going, oh yeah, that's really great. And that's, that's the important thing. Now, <clears throat> can we use that as a way for us to be able to share our point of view? Not, I disagree with Imogen or Siobhan on something, but here's what I think about that. Here's how I see that happening. And then we can have that discussion. And that's what Sales Enablement Society is really all about. It's like, let's have a dialogue and figure out the better way to do it. We all learn from each other. Um, a long time ago, I heard somebody talk about steel sharpens steel. And that's, you know, it's, it's our steel uh, against each other just has to be able to be used in a way that it uh, improves all of our approach to everything. We, we learn from each other and, and it, it's just su such an insightful survey. And I'm, I'm just so happy that um, the 69 other people other than I <laughs> who responded to it, took the time to respond to it because there was some really good material in there. Excellent. So with that, we're at a wrap. Thank you so much. Uh, hopefully Insider Nation. Hey! you got a lot of value out of this as much as I did, please take the time to listen to all of our panels. Uh, what, I'd uh, what I'd challenge you to do is really concentrate on where there's themes. Uh, what do the sales enablement uh, experts say in the language that they use? How's it different? How's it the same as what the sales leaders are looking for? Or the practitioners who are in, in the middle of making it work, uh, the connective glue, if you will, what do they look like? Because ultimately one of our challenges is how we communicate the value of all this stuff. So with that, I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna wrap it up. I do have a couple of requests. Please go to insidese.com, find, click on the, the, the registration, register for the webinar. It's on 519, it's 11 o'clock Eastern time. And we're going to be able to, we're going to provide the synthesis of all of these different things, the survey, the COVID response, 10 years in the field, interviews like this, panels like this, 
How in the world are we going to put it all together? I don't know. I just know we will because this is the way things work when, when, you, when you challenge yourselves and have people like Imogen and Doug and Siobhan helping you along the way. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request. <laughs>